Okay, so um, Howard Hall gave me a, a letter, uh, and I'm always asking you to ask questions uh, when we're dealing with the practicalities of the commandments, and usually Lori Pate is the one who'll come up with the, the I'm not, I'm not, I don't know whatever you're talking about, it's fine. <laughs> but she's the one who's open enough to ask the questions. Uh, like, what's this? Tell me what this. And a lot of you are quiet. But Howard actually wrote down some questions, and therefore I'm going to try to deal with his questions. He's not here today. He said he's going to watch this anyway, so he would like me to do that. So um, the first one has to do with birth control. So how does the commandment to not murder have to do with birth control. And you can see right now, as a pastor, why I, um, I'm not a doctor. I don't, I'm not an expert in these things. A lot of these issues are issues between a, a woman and a doctor, and I, I get all that. So I walk with uh, um, uh, caution here. But his, his question is very, you know, and if you know Howard, Dr. Hall is a, well, he used to be OBGYN. I think he's just a gynecologist now. But um, anyway, he um, asks, birth control, is it murderous, if not life-affirming? To what extent do Six Commandment principles apply? So... Um, some issues of birth control are very easy to understand. So if you, uh, we talk about birth control as uh, abortifacient, which means like a morning after pill, anything that would be after conception. Uh, it is pretty black and white, pretty clear um, that we believe life begins at conception and therefore any uh, birth control that is purposely intention to, uh, to stop the life that has already existed, we, we would consider murderous. We would consider that not good. Um, I will say, uh, just in any time that we talk about abortion, um, the reality is there's, there could be people in this class or those um, who are listening or who will listen to this class who have had abortions. And uh, it's very important to stress that God, uh, uh, although he wants us to repent of the attitude of abortion um, and the wrong of having committed an abortion, uh, it's not the unforgivable sin and that there is grace and I'll tell you just a little bit about my testimony in that. Just to, it's not just a theoretical aspect to me. When I was in high school, I actually got my girlfriend pregnant. And, uh, and at the time, I encouraged abortion. So I look at my own self, even though that my girlfriend didn't uh, have an abortion. And she's, you know, had the child and grown up and is now an adult. Um, and I'm thankful for that, I still think in my mind have processed that having intended that, having encouraged that, 
I was just as guilty as if it had occurred, right? So, so there's a sense where uh, I want to just help people understand that if you have committed this sin or you know someone has committed this sin, there is grace, there is forgiveness, there is cleansing in Christ, and it's not too large for him to handle. So that's very important for me to say. What we're dealing with in the commandments are trying to figure out what is right and what is wrong. And, and I think in some ways there are some issues that it's just very clear black and white. Uh, but when it comes to what we call hormonal birth control, uh, the church has not taken, either our church or our denomination has not taken a position on hormonal birth control. At the same time, um, I want to, um, I want to try to bring out the the issues that I do with young couples whenever I take them through marriage counseling beforehand, premarital counseling, uh, to think through this. Um, again, uh, early on in our marriage, we used hormonal birth control as a couple. Uh, and uh, for other reasons than the, the moral issues, we, it didn't work for us health-wise, and so we, we stopped uh, relatively quick. But um, there are, as far as I understand, and you guys might even know uh, facts, there's a, there's a pastor named Randy Alcorn who uh, has taken it upon himself to really have a strong ministry against any kind of birth control. And I usually, when I'm talking to uh, couples, I say, you know, unless you're planning on having kids right away, which I encourage, the Bible encourages <laughs> having children, uh, as, a, as a principle, we are for the concept of not um, thinking that you just have to have kids right away and never quit having kids until you're done. <laughs> you know, we're not... The Catholic position has been don't have birth control at all based upon uh, you're inhibiting what God intends to have life, okay? And while the Protestant position is trying to encourage life, we're not necessarily opposed on principle, uh, you know, stopping for a time or regulating that. It's, it's something that we would, um, in general, affirm, okay? But Randy Alcorn has brought up in his position... As far as I know, he's the primary one doing that says this, and he actually has a very compelling case that, um, uh, well, I should say at least a thoughtful case that hormonal birth control can be an abortifacient. And I, I usually have to try to uh, at least work this through with people. So there are three primary um, ways in which hormonal birth control uh, stops uh, a pregnancy. Uh, and the first is it, it prevents ovulation. Uh, or not necessarily, uh, fertilization, I should say. You can tell I'm not. Uh, it, it, it stops it from, maybe even stops ovulation. 
Um, but it, it's, it's something that we would say, oh, that's prior to conception. And the second one, I think, is it... Um, I'm going to write this down here. Uh, Okay. All right, I know that there's three. So I think it is prevents ovulation... Prevents fertilization are the first two. And um, we would be completely fine with that. The last one is that it begins to thin the walls of the uterus. And in some cases, seems to be the, the, the case, that in some cases, the thinning of this wall you could actually have a fertilization of the egg and then it not implant or be less likely to implant on the wall of the uterus and therefore you would have an abortion. Uh, and of course, we're against abortion, <laughs> right? And so um, Randy Alcorn's case is just that nobody should take that. I have wrestled with this. I have been on both sides of the thinking um, I've talked with doctors uh, about this, and so uh, they're on both sides of the the issue on this. It's not as clear-cut. And so um, the case for, it just seems black and white. If If it causes abortion in any situation, no, period. And this is what I usually tell young couples, if that's how you feel about this, then this is not your option. Um, But I also know uh, from talking to a lot of people that not everybody quite sees it that way. As much as 10%, these are are uh, numbers that I am just, I am not a doctor. I am not (laughs) someone who's really qualified in these areas. But as much as 10% of uh, conceived uh, embryos actually abort spontaneously, just normally anyway. And, and knowing for certain that the thinning of these walls actually causes the abortion is a lot trickier than, than what's said and done. And so, I mean, for instance, you could maybe get sick at the time when this occurs, and that would cause, you know, you may not eat as much healthy food during that time. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen, and it's in my estimation, I'm not ready to put onto the, um, the conscience of people a definitive statement that if you're having, if you're taking hormonal birth control, that you're, you're absolutely creating abortions. I'm just not ready to make that, that case. Now, um, so what we do is we look at the, uh, uh, in my diagram of dealing with the law, you have the norm you have the situation, and you have the heart. And I think the heart deals with intentions. And in this situation, uh, I think a case can be made that the intentions of the person taking the birth control is not to kill people. You know, and I think that's a very important issue, and I think the, the, 
making a direct causal statement is not, um, it's not as clear cut for me. And the church has not made this, you know, like the denomination, they've thought through these things, they have not made a statement on this. And so I usually just leave it into the hands of uh, the couple and their doctor to talk through these things, get the details and talk through those. But this is a difficult, difficult situation. On the one hand, you don't want to be on the side of, I might be causing an abortion. On the other hand, you don't want to wrongly uh, bind somebody's conscience when it's not a legitimate thing to do. We live in a fallen world. Um, for instance, here's just examples of unintended consequences. Uh, does anybody know the Doolittle Raid? Um, heard of the Doolittle Raid, right? Well, what we were doing, Doolittle Raid, we were trying to bomb Tokyo in World War II after Pearl Harbor, and they send like, um, I don't know, 12 bombers, and they just do like a, just a drop in Tokyo, didn't do a whole lot of damage. But it was a statement that we made to the Japanese. It was very important for us in the war effort during that time. When we landed in, in China, uh, and some of the Chinese there helped those pilots escape, uh, upwards of 50,000 or more Chinese died because we did that raid. So, um, in, in retaliation for harboring those few pilots. Uh, and so you would say, well, that, in some way that was cause, but it wasn't the intention of the cause, right? And it was something else that was happening. So um, I just bring that into, uh, it's not a, I haven't worked out any clear-cut argument that puts me on either side or the other. I just, I have to just kind of leave it out there for you guys. So if there's any other questions or comments, that's really what I have to say. I'm, I, I'm very pro-life. I'm against uh, abortion, um, but I, I just am not ready to go all the way to condemn it. Go ahead. Right, because if I'm in vitro fertilization, of which I know again very little, but uh, there are similar issues because uh, in order to get some viable children, they usually fertilize more eggs than you need, right? And so then you have fertilized eggs who are either in, in state storage or sometimes parents are very conscious of this and therefore their, their, their desire is to use all the eggs, right? And so uh, sometimes it's not a concern. And, you know, as a Christian, it certainly should be a concern for us because they're fertilized eggs. If we believe life occurs at conception, 
it's something that we should be concerned about. So, um, and again, I have known very, very deeply pro-life, godly people who have done this, you know, had IVF, um, and then I know other people who don't want to do it for that very reason. So, again, these are difficult situations. The church has not taken a position on that either. Maybe we should. Maybe we should hash this out and have some serious, uh, you know, get together with doctors and really think this stuff through. Um, but it is, these are, these are real-life issues, and it, it, it does seem to muddy the water at times because your desire is to have life, to produce life. You're not trying to kill life. Uh, and we live in a fallen world. So uh, that just muddied the water more. But, yes, IVF is very similar. So any other thoughts or questions or statements on this? Yes, go ahead. And Do we have a microphone? I'm sure we do. I know he didn't have to do that, but uh, I just now thought of it. <laughs> but I know Howard would like to hear your comments. Let me see. There you go. Now, I was just going to say, we actually knew a couple that was infertile, and they chose to, I don't know how they chose the eggs, but somehow they knew, like, characteristics of the mother and father, but they chose to use eggs that were previously fertilized mm. and, and, and plant them just, it, just to save a life. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times if you're, if you're, um, if you're trying to have kids and can't, you are having a lot of spontaneous abortions as that occurs. I mean, of course, you're not causing them. It's just a part of the fallen world in which you live. But to, to then say, well, if somebody uses IVF, that that's inherently killing, I, it, it's, it, to me, it's not a clear-cut statement in that way. So, um, Okay, Sam? Uh, I just want to tear down your uh, example you made for the Doolittle Raid. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's not a perfect... I was, I'm talking about as unintended consequences, but yes, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> um, but, so, the Doolittle Raid would be an example of unintended consequences, but if we're talking about um, what you said about, you know, 10%, even if it's just like 2% of that 10% that you were talking about, that's still a known quantity or an expected result, right? <laughs> I know. They didn't not know that that could happen. Mm -hmm. right? so, so would they have still done the Doolittle raid if they had known that it was going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> um, and I get that there's a third party, the evil of the, of the Japanese in that situation, but still um, anything that we do has unintended consequences. And I'm not trying to blur the water on this. I'm just saying that uh, I wish, <laughs> I wish we had Howard here to pin him down <laughs> and see his statements. Uh, I have had conversations with Howard, but I'm not going to speak for Howard on this. But I do think that you should sit down and try to understand it, talking to um, a pro-life doctor on this issue. So, yes. Mm -hmm. and, um, we can 
considered IVF, and we chose to not pursue IVF. And then after getting pregnant at 38, I was a high-risk pregnancy, and we were advised to abort the pregnancy <laughs> by a neurologist. Mm -hmm. And um, we found a new neurologist. Um, but we had our daughter, and then we were advised to go on birth control. And what we found out about that was that even without taking it, when we checked the meds against the birth controls, that the meds negate the birth control. So it wouldn't have worked for us anyway. Mm -hmm. And so we are at God's pleasure, mm -hmm. whether we have another child or not. And right. But so, okay, let me give you a, a case, though. Robin and I are, are very much uh, wanting to have kids. We weren't, like, saying, oh, we just don't want kids. We want to live our life, live it up. Um, but it was, um, it was certainly a, an eye-opening issue having a special needs daughter knowing the amount of care that it would take to, to, and only now do we finally really realize how much care that requires. But, um, but we, I think, stopped uh, uh, having kids after Michael for a very specific reason of just saying, can we care for this, these children? And so um, knowing the responsibility of caring for the children that you have. And so, again, I, I think... As a pastor, talking through with a lot of people over the years, trying to help them, uh, we, we have to clearly express the norm. You do not want to purposely kill children. I mean, that's you know, how can we be pro-life and want that? Uh, at the same time, we there are issues that are more complex, given with modern medicine, that we do need to uh, hopefully have doctors like Dr. Hall who are very pro-life, who are very concerned about these things, and try to work through those issues with them. I do this with end-of-life issues as well. Uh, I think that the, the parents are the people who most care for their uh, aging, I mean the kids of aging parents are the ones that most care, but I don't think kids always have all the best medical facts. And therefore, I do think it's very important as a pastor, to encourage families to talk to the doctor. What, what's going on here? What's happening with my parent? Um, and Because they're the ones that want to keep alive their parents more than anybody else, right? And so they should be the ones dealing with that. But I do think the doctors are very important because they have the expertise of what's happening. And so there's this combination of the two. And I think it's probably similar in understanding things like birth control as well. So, Lee, go ahead. I just want to make a little addition here for people Please do. Who, have, <laughs> who haven't been here to hear your complete explanation, but when Mike says norm, he's talking about God's standard, right. not the worldly norm. Right. We would call it an absolute standard, and that standard is do not commit murder. That's the norm, yeah. Mm -hmm. Unchanging. Uh, Mandy? I just wanted to say that there are natural birth control options, and I, and I think the Lord gives us that knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. We've been married 10 years. I've never been on birth control, but just there is another option, counting your days. And mm -hmm. If you know you're, you can get in tune in with your body, and it's a 99.6%. Mm -hmm. So there's other options besides. Absolutely. And, and I, I thank you for saying that. That's very good. I'm fairly certain that that's what my 
son and daughter-in-law have done. So, Yes. I take it we're going to get into the detrimental effects on the health of the woman who does take hormonal um, birth control? Uh, I wasn't going to get into that. Um, <laughs> although I, I will say that having... Right, I know. That, um, the, but they're, they're, I know for a fact that doctors use birth control to help with certain health issues as well. The fact that any drug has negative side effects doesn't mean that you shouldn't use that drug. It just means that it has negative side effects. Case in point, Ginny is on seizure medication. It has negative side effects. So you could say, oh, the negative side effects, you're abusing her health. Well, not necessarily. The, the uh, keeping her from having seizures is much more important to us than the side effects that are occurring. So again, there's a there's a give and take with everything that we do, right? Um, and so, and no system is going to be perfectly healthy because we live in a fallen world and our bodies are fallen and they have difficult things that happen to them. So, yes, you should think of the negative side effects of birth control other than abortion. You should think of how they affect the body. But it's, it's not, as far as I understand talking with doctors, there are good reasons for putting someone on birth control that are other health reasons, understanding their side effects um, to those as well. So, Debbie. Mm-hmm. There's at least a 50% chance if he had a child that um, he would he would have have a child with Becker's muscular dystrophy, mm -hmm. and um, it, it's. I mean, we've talked about it. We've, it hadn't been an issue. Right, because he's not married, right? But yeah. he's, uh, uh, he would like to have children, and I'm not um, going to tell him he, he shouldn't. I mean, he's been through the, Correct. the genetic counseling and all that. Um, I mean, we have a wonderful son, and even though he has muscular dystrophy, we, we love him dearly, and, mm -hmm. and that's, uh, you know, just, you know, the chance you might. Yeah, I could see someone coming down on the position, no, I don't want to have children for that reason. And I could see other people saying, I'm going to leave it in God's hands, and if it happens, it happens, right? My brother did the exact same thing mm -hmm. because we have several things like that in the family, and they, he and his wife decided not to have children. That was their decision. Mm -hmm. Good, all right. At the same time this morning, I was watching something on um, Kenya, and how they were using the tetanus vaccine and attaching an actual chemical to it that caused women, once they got pregnant, to not be able to sustain the pregnancy. And they've done this to thousands of women in Africa, which is, to me, I mean, they're setting up murdering children on purpose. Hmm. I hadn't heard that. That's it. Yeah, Bill Gates is behind it. In fact, they did studies, and the, the doctors who did the studies on this found the chemical in the vaccinations, and they were told not to report it by the WHO. And they went against the WHO, so the entire media in Kenya 
made them look like fools, and they were all fired, lost their jobs, and somehow the main guy is now not with us anymore. Hmm. He was behind the studies. Well, there's certainly, um, it is the, the uh, intent of Margaret Sanger and, Sanger and Planned Parenthood was to reduce the population. I mean, that was, and again, you go back to evil intentions. Um, Um, you know, and I, I'll just tell you that most of the people that I've counseled in my office in premarital counseling have taken that position and stayed away from it. And, and that's, I think it's a very good, safe position, but, uh, any kind of birth control, uh, I mean, hormonal birth control, that is, uh, but I am not ready. Now you might be ready. I am not ready to condemn the mother or the, you know, the bride and, and their groom, if they do choose birth control. I'm not ready to be at that place, uh, these forms that are hormonal. Uh, and, and this is why I do deal with it privately and do want them to talk with their, their, uh, their doctors. And hopefully their doctor, and this is why it's very important to choose a doctor who has similar values that you have, because it's obviously that, that the medical community is not necessarily the most moral community, you should want to have a doctor who, who has a firm belief in God and is pro-life and those sorts of things to, uh, to get your advice from. So, uh, again, you can disagree with me on this. This is why I thought, you know, I hate to be in a situation where uh, people think of me not being on the side of right. But, I mean, this is, this is where I am right now. You might convince me otherwise, but this is a, this is a tough issue, so, in my opinion. So, uh, has a, has, Jessica, has the Pregnancy Care Center thought through this? Here's, here's, our, uh, me on the spot. here's our chair of the Pregnancy Care Center right <laughs> Thank here. Thank you. Um, well, I think one of the things is we, we, we are not medical care for a woman in that way. And so just like anything, we talk through all of those things with yeah. a woman. So, for instance, we talk through what an abortion looks like if a woman chooses that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we give them facts, mm-hmm. not either to encourage or scare them. Mm-hmm. Certainly we, we want to discourage that, but that's simply by giving facts. Mm-hmm. So I think our approach is similar to what you're standing here doing today, that we're, we're not going to sit here and, and tell a woman, do not do this. We're going to give her the facts about what that does and then allow her to make those decisions. What I was going to say, um, and I don't want to sound trite in this because I think this sounds like a pat answer, Mm -hmm. but I think we always have to go back to the goodness and sovereignty of God in this. Mm -hmm. I have sat with women who had no intention of getting pregnant or having a child who were on birth control and got pregnant um, and counseled them in having that child. Mm -hmm. And I've sat on the other side of that. I've been on the other side of that in losing a baby that was very much wanted. Mm -hmm. So I think it's easy to sit here and, and of course, like you said, we want to make sure that we are upholding life all the way from conception forward. Um, But what that can look like can often be us trying to figure out how to control every little thing Mm -hmm. that could possibly happen. Um, and I, I, I'm with you. It's a muddy place to be, and I don't always feel comfortable in where I, I sit in that, you know, even just <laughs> saying that to tell the woman this is a choice that you need to make given all the facts that you know about what hormonal birth control is, what 
is going on with your own body. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, that there are many health issues that a woman would ha- can have that can be greatly helped by just regular use of hormonal birth control. Um, also, for some women, myself included, it was not a healthy choice for me to make. It mm-hmm. made me feel very badly. Um, so I think sometimes we get hung up in the weeds of trying to control or um, feel like we actually not trying to control, feel like we have more control over some of these things than we in reality do Um, rather than just knowing that God's, if, if someone's on birth control and God intends for them to have a child, then that's going to happen. And vice versa. Um, God's goodness stands no matter what choices we, we make. And that's not to say that our choices don't have impact. Um, But, I just think sometimes we we uh, we get in our heads a little too much about it. Um, if that makes any sense? No, that's good. Could have could have let you start off the whole thing. <laughs> so, all right, this is your your chance to, you know, Sam's the only one that stood up and said that I was in the wrong. He didn't, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> No, it's not good that he's the only one. I'm just thankful that he was willing to do that. So, uh, And uh, there have been plenty of situations when it comes to moral issues that uh, you end up reversing your position later on. So uh, I don't think this is uh, a done deal in, in among ethics books. So, for instance, the ethics books that I have on my shelf do not deal with these issues quite the way we are today. I mean, none of them deal with I- IVF, you know. So it's just like... The, the Christian community is constantly trying to figure out and keep up with medicine morally to figure out like what we should do and what we shouldn't do. So it's not an easy process. So, all right. So we're going to change gears. Uh, still dealing with you shall not murder. The second question that Howard had for me, um, and actually we'll probably give Howard a chance to speak if he wants next week um, on this. So, uh, but the second question he had was on gun control. Uh, what are the biblical principles we should have when thinking about gun control? Uh, so, and so, <sighs> gun control is obviously a hot issue. And if you listen to the media, uh, on one side you have, um, you know, this kind of like, uh, more guns better. Uh, and the other side is like no guns at all, kind of. Get rid of them all. Um, only let assigned authorities have guns. And I do think the biblical position is, is not really either of those. Um, so in our country, we, we talk about an amendment, right? Which amendment do we talk about? All right. Second Amendment rights. And there's no question because of the Second Amendment that in the United States of America, we have a constitutional right to bear arms, to have and bear arms. That's given to us uh, in the Constitution. And I will argue in a moment that I think that that constitutional right is based upon biblical principles. But I'm wondering if how often we actually try to, to support our constitutional right from a biblical right. So who, anybody want to just stab at like, where in the Bible do we have the right to have and bear arms? 
Is that a, is that a God-given right? Sometimes if you hear the, the debates and the fights, it's just kind of like, that's my God-given right. And it's not usually supported. So do we have that right? How do we derive that from the Bible? I know there are people in here that believe it. In fact, I believe it. But I want to hear if you guys have thought that through. What is the... Okay, so, okay, excellent. So an eye for an eye. That's a symbol of justice. Therefore, um, if you... um, if you have uh, you hurt me, then I have an intent to hurt you. Now this is this is actually an interesting concept because it, it's you can't have a whole person for an eye, right? There's a there's a sense of justice. So like if if you come in and cut off my hand, I don't have a right to just murder you necessarily or to take your life because it's an eye for an eye. So it limits that. But I think you're absolutely right. It does create a principle that there is a sense of justice of which you have to um, exert that justice upon another person. But, okay, that's one. Good, good. Any other thoughts? Okay, so stoning, that is a, a stoning, that is a, again, even in the eye for eye and a stoning, both of those are, are cases of um, the civil authority exacting justice. So most people are not opposed, even the most liberal people in our government still surround themselves with bodyguards to protect themselves and are for some sort of corporal punishment. But so that's a, that's a case for civil authorities boning guns, but we in our Second Amendment rights mean that every citizen has a right. To, uh, so self-defense, um, where do we have that? So the implication. <laughs> Other people want to hear. Yeah, that's good. So. Yeah, thou thou shall not murder is, and the implication of thou shall not murder, of course, is is uh, I think you have to start building your issue of self defense or defense of the helpless, involving that issue because if you stand there and you let the helpless die because of your inaction, necessarily, I think that has some implication in there. So this is a uh, right along uh, Ken's comment. Uh, this is J.P. Moreland and Norman Geisler. Two, if you're not familiar with them, they're very strong ethical uh, um, and guys that write books and stuff. They they write to permit a murder when one could have prevented it is morally wrong. That's kind of what you're. So so if you if there's a murder going to take place and you don't try to prevent that murder, and even by the use of force, then you're actually morally culpable for not not trying to prevent it. Right. Uh, and they go on, to allow a rape when one could have hindered it is an evil. To watch an act of cruelty to children without trying to intervene is morally inexcusable. In brief, not resisting evil is an evil of omission, and an evil of omission can just be just as evil as an evil of commission. Any man who refuses to protect his wife and children against a violent murder f- fails them morally. Uh, and that, that's just in their book, The Life and Death Debate, Moral Issues of Our Time. So, so I think that, okay, self-defense and, and the prevention of murder, uh, I think, is a biblical uh, value that you can have. Okay, so that's... Prov- 
<laughs> you do not want to go down the road of that, that uh, Reuben and Simeon were justified in wiping out a whole population. <laughs> Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. 9 specifically says, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Okay, so again, so defense and defense of poor and needy, okay, um, uh, just to be clear, and, I, and you know, that, <laughs> the reason why that was clearly wrong is they, they didn't just take the one person who committed the crime, they wiped out the whole <laughs> people, you know, so I mean, this is where an eye for an eye, you know, one person committed the crime, let's wipe out the whole family is not necessarily uh, something we want to encourage, so. Like uh, when David asked these men to strap their arm. Okay, so we, we did talk about last week uh, just war. Um, and, and we did mention that there were times in the Old Testament where the army of God was uh, very much exercising um, a foreshadow of God's final judgment upon people. And therefore, it was okay to be in an army. But again, this is a little bit different than a Second Amendment right. I have a right to bear arms. Um, there's not many texts in Scripture. Let's just be honest. I mean, other than the, deri- the, the derivative text that I have a right to self-defense, uh, and therefore I should have a right to do this, it's, it's not immediately apparent in Scripture. It, and it's hard sometimes to combine it with other verses that are like, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, give them the left. I mean, that's just, it's, how do you, if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, you nail them. You know, it's, 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 it's hard to bring those together, right? So, um, you only have two okay, so let them have both cheeks. And, and then I would have the argument, okay, well, how do I know that when they hit me the second time, I'm going to be able to hit them back? So I should preempt that, right? And take them out, you know. So, I mean, there's, um, I just think that the, the scriptures are, are um, not, Explicit. So, couple couple ones that I think you could draw. David assumes that his entire population has swords. So, in First Samuel twenty five, he just says, "Okay, guys, strap on your sword." Well, they didn't have a like a standing army. They just had people that lived, and they had swords. And he assumed that they did. And he says, "Go get it, and let's go." Um, Jesus does this with uh, his disciples. He says, "We need to have a couple swords." And I and you can question why he's saying that, but he actually, he doesn't say, well, we should never have a sword. What are you doing? You know, there's, for some reason, for some uh, a legitimate reason, Jesus tells them to have a sword. Now, he confronts Peter later and says, you know, don't, I'm going to be arrested. But he does tell Peter to have a sword, and he's not just doing that to set Peter up for failure. It's a real issue. Uh, Nehemiah. Do you remember in Nehemiah when they're rebuilding the wall and there are foreign nations that are coming in and, and they are to literally have a, a sword in one hand and their trowel in the other working on the wall for self-defense. So again, you have some situations where this is, is true, but it is not, it's just not explicit. It's not a statement. So in other words, I don't feel like I'm, I do have one shotgun, but I don't feel like I, I am like wrong for not saying, oh, i got to have a gun because that's what God wants me to do. He wants us to all have guns. Um, there's, uh, I respect everybody that does have guns. I'm, and actually, I'm thankful. I'd rather have other people have guns around me than me ha- not have guns. But what was the rationale 
why our founding fathers came up with the Second Amendment. Huh? Revolutionary War, tyrannical government. Well, to deal with the country. The, the problem was if they lost their firearms and their gunpowder, and that's what the British were moving on, they were moving to get the stores of powder and weapons, and that's when they said, that's it, and they went to war. So um, we're here. I'll mention one other thing. The number one murder in history is governments. And in the 20th century, 100 million people were killed. And so, yes, self-defense and other reasons protecting, but at the same time, I hate to say it, but to be sure that we maintain our republic. Mm -hmm. Right. All those freedoms that, that we were given. Correct. So, so the, the, the rationale, uh, the, the Second Amendment states that you should have a state militia, or you should have a militia. And they were kind of asked, what does it mean by a militia? You know, we think National Guard or something like that. But in their minds, the militia was basically citizens who would then rise up and, and form a, uh, an army. And so uh, the George Mason um, and others are very clear that the very it's necessary in order to have a free state, one in which the government does not tyrannically rule you, to have an armed citizenry, citizenry, and and I think that is the the what's usually not even discussed, except in people who really know their Second Amendment and stuff like that. It's discussed in some people, um, but but it, and I I think it's a real evil. Um, Richard Henry Lee said to preserve liberty, it is essential that the whole body of people always possess arms and be taught alike, especially when young how to use them. Uh, the ultimate goal of the Second Amendment, this is David Barton, he's a modern-day guy, uh, is to make sure you can defend yourself against any kind of illegal force that comes against you, whether it's from a neighbor, whether it's from an outsider, and by that they mean foreign governments, or from your own government. And I think that's, it, it is a deterrent in a lot of ways. It's been said that one of the reasons why the Japanese didn't invade the uh, California was because they knew how many Americans had guns and they didn't want to do that. Um, so it is a deterrent from other nations wanting to invade our country. I'm not sure I'm not kept up on Ukraine as much, but I do think it's part of the issue having just citizens that have guns in Ukraine rather than just the military is, is an aspect, is what's keeping it so difficult for the, uh, for the Russians to take over. Uh, well, and again, I'm not making a moral situation in Ukraine. I'm just saying that an armed citizenry is a deterrent to to that. Um, so I think that the um, we tend to think that our government is benevolent. I know, I know you guys are more conservative and know all the things that our government's not benevolent. I get that. But it, throughout history, it has been that our government has been benevolent. We live in a place that we, we have basic rights and we don't fear for our lives from the government like in other places, like in Latin America, right, Christian? I mean, it can get pretty bad. But, but the reality is having an armed citizenry is a check on our government. Take the mic back to Luckadoo. Um, oh, wait, no, Luckadoo's got to get it first. We'll come back to you, Sam. Uh, uh, so 
And I, does anybody know how many legal guns are owned here in the United States? I just read this. Huh? Yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's in the hundreds of millions. I had 200 million. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 400 million. So um, you better believe that that does create a certain uh, question. That our, our, the, the guns that our military has could, um, are far more powerful than the guns that we have, but the fact that all of us have them is a deterrent that our government just doesn't just do whatever they want. So, yes, luck do. My question is, are we as fathers not told to provide and take care of our family and our relatives that are weaker or have no ability to take care of themselves? Like in Timothy, I believe. Okay, so uh, find me that verse and find me that it is actual, um, that there's a sense that you should do that. One is 1 Timothy 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. To provide for my family is to provide provisions, house, food, clothing, etc., biblical teaching, knowledge, and guidance. But is it not also to protect them? Oh, I would, I would, yeah, I would say yes. You know, and if somebody's coming at me with a rock, well, good, I'll come at them with a rock. But I'm in a position where I can do that. In a few more years when they come at me with a rock, I'm going to come at them with a ball-peen hammer. <laughs> and as I get older, it's going to increase to bigger things. <laughs> okay, so so my my thinking is that it is legitimate to defend yourself and to protect those who are weak and I do think it is a good thing to put a check on our government. Sam's going to have a word here in a moment. So I think that those can be derived. I think we have to be, we have to be thoughtful. And, and um, sometimes when people talk about their Second Amendment rights, they talk about them in a way that I'm just going to blast people. And if you know anything about your old Wild West cowboy movies... It's very easy to escalate a fistfight into killing somebody if you have the ability to do that. And so I think as Christians, we should combine our, our defense of Second Amendment rights with a check on us that we all have a murderous intent in our hearts at time to kill people that needs to be checked. We all have the seeds of being Cain within us. And you still have to have some protection of that and we need to be teaching that we're not just for just taking out all the bad guys you come across my property i'm going to blow you up you know we we should check that in our society i have a right to get you you come onto my property i'm gonna kill you that's not a biblical mindset so we need to have both the defense of our right to to have guns and to defend ourselves and to care for the poor with a healthy sense of trying to love even our enemy and I think in our past, the way that that has been said is that you even, you even, you use uh, lethal force as a last resort. That's, that's, and I think that's a Christian mindset, that you try to not use lethal force. I don't want to kill somebody if I can, if I can avoid it. Um, but I do think I have a right to do that. Go ahead, Sam. 
<laughs> Philip in the back. Uh, kind of throw this in the mix. So I think we had error a lot on the side of being American first and Christian second on this issue. Mm-hmm. Um, point to history a little bit. We got the Thirty Years' War and an extension the Hundred Years' War, which is Protestants getting massacred by Catholics. Yeah, just so you know, 30 years war and 100 years war in, in European church history, and literally Christ, uh, Protestants and Catholics beat each other up off and on for 100 years. So yeah, go ahead. pretty much. Um, so you got the issue of martyrs in here, which is something that I struggle a lot with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people, to the glory of God, are called to be martyrs. Mm-hmm. And that makes it very difficult with guns because I think there is a time to not resist. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I very much believe you should self-defense, but at the same time, you have to throw into the mix the fact that there are many Christians who choose to be nonviolent, uh, mm-hmm. not to involve in wars, and I think that is a right thing, um, mm-hmm. that their conscience has led them to that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you do have to just find a way to not be... To not be American first, to be Christian first, mm-hmm. because we want to point to our Second Amendment rights, but in reality, the American Second Amendment rights are a tiny blip in history mm-hmm. um, that is not the entirety of the issue. Now, I very much believe that is a right thing, and it is, it is support by the Bible, mm-hmm. but it's not something that we should, port, should point to as a, this is what God says. I think well said on that. And just to be fair, kind of piggybacking on the Hundred Years' War, basically what they said is um, during that time, because a Catholic taught a view of salvation that was not fully gracious, that view could in fact, in, I've got to take the mic back to Luckadoo again. He doesn't usually speak, so I, you know, I'd let you speak more quickly if you'd move up, Luckadoo, instead of... <laughs> okay. But um, but just know that during those Middle Ages, during the, the time of uh, the Reformation and after, because somebody believed differently uh, theologically, they looked at that as an, a, um, a, a true life and death harming of your children because your child could then assume the, the, the false faith of these other people around you. Therefore, in order to protect your child, we should be for the killing of those who think differently. And that's what occurred during those times. Now, they beat each other up for 100 years, and then Fai said, you know, maybe we shouldn't keep doing this. Um, but just so you know, that, that, that that's the connection. It's that, and you think about it, if somebody, you know, shoots my family, they're taking their, their uh, physical life, that's terrible, but if somebody comes in and leads my family away from Christ such that they no longer have a faith in God, you can understand in that time why they said, no, we're going to have, this area is going to be pure in its doctrine because we don't want people to fall away. It'd be like, we would say this is okay in our homes, right? To this day, you know, you know the, the Avery home would not let false teaching kind of into the home, so to speak, or into the church, but... But back then, they looked at it in the community, and they said, man, we're going to take out those who think differently than us, and that led to that. So, again, there are tensions, and that's what I'm trying to show here, that, 
that you don't, you don't just take one principle and say, okay, I'm just going to take people's lives and, and uh, uh, be justified in not trying to love those who are different. So go ahead, Luckadoo. Okay, I got it on. First of all, thank you, Philip. Perfect point. Uh, a good example of what you're saying, I think, is like with Jim Elliott and those guys. Mm-hmm. They took a stance to not defend themselves for the life's sake and chance of salvation for those people. I get that. And that's something we all struggle with. I have struggled in past about having an intruder come into my home. Odds are good that that intruder is not saved. But then I had to step back and say, well, in my home, I have children that I am to protect. So I'm not saying it's cut and dry and easy. You know, <laughs> just like with government, we are to obey our government until they cross the threshold of being unbiblical. And when they are forcing unbiblical things onto us, I believe it's a time to stand. Does that mean you have to stand with arms? Not necessarily. And I think that is part of the problem, and I'm going down a catwalk, <laughs> with where we are now is the church did not stand against things like they should have in the past. And I place that on my parents. I've told them they don't <laughs> like it, but I put it on them. Mm-hmm. I said, now I've got to scream louder because you didn't scream at all. Which is, which is why we have these kind of discussions. And, you know, we, we want to have a clear stance. We're against murder. We're against abortion. We're against these things. But um, it, it is uh, a challenge. So anyway, you guys hopefully will be a part of uh, a class of people who will be defending of your right to bear arms but also being people who understand the need for kindness and love to those who think differently than us. Okay, I hope that those will both come out of people in this congregation. Uh, I, I don't want us to go down the liberal road and just say, oh, you know, we don't take our guns. We should get rid of them because they're causing all the... All the de- they're not, that's not the issue. That's a false way to go. But we do need to understand that they can increase the ease for which we murder or kill. And that's a, that's even, I was just talking to this morning, people go over into uh, Iraq and they're coming back and they're dealing with all kinds of, not Iraq, all the different wars. They're dealing with all these kinds of psychological problems. Sometimes they may have committed a moral evil, but sometimes they may have just killed a lot of people and their consciences are wrestling with that. You, it's tough. You don't want to be on the side of, of just, Kill them all. Sort them out later. You know, <laughs> that's not that's not a healthy uh, position that we have. At the same time, you know, God commanded the whole community to stone people that were. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's there. So it's, there's just this back and forth. It's a challenge. Okay, we did not get into his last two questions, which are political dialogue and uh, excessive passions and distracting cares. Those are both uh, applications that your larger catechism places, and maybe we'll deal a little bit with that next week uh, before we go into uh, don't commit adultery. Um, But it's certainly clear in our society we should speak to each other with better uh, gentleness and respect than we do in our public discourse. It It is vitriolic. 
It, is, it shows no concern for that other person. You're not actually trying to win them. You're actually trying to demean them so you can get other people onto your side. That's not the way we should handle our political dialogue. We should be trying to make our case, make our arguments uh, with charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness. Those are all things that, that, we sh- that our catechism tells us we should do in our speech, and I think that we should, uh, we should do that as well. It's, it's too easy to fall into the, the world's idea of, you're on the side of right, and therefore I'm going to just treat everyone else with disrespect. And I think that's bad. We'll t- talk more about that next time. But, um, yeah, so hopefully this was a worthwhile class. It's not the one I would have uh, chosen for us, but um, I want to deal with questions as they come. Again, if you have questions on any of these commandments, I'm not saying that I will have the the definitive moral issue on them, but it is my responsibility as a spiritual leader to to have thought through and to try to wrestle with real questions that you guys are having. So, Father, thank you so much for this time, and I trust that you will make us people who reflect your attitude, who, who think about the world the way you do. You hate evil, and you also save evildoers from their their sin and I, I don't know how to bring all those together but I ask God that you would bless us today help us to uh, fear you uh, in a healthy way because you are the righteous one and we are not but also help us to be thankful for Jesus Christ who is our true redeemer and friend in Jesus name amen Yeah, will you move that for me? Thank you. Thank you, thank you.